This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Richard Ivers from, uh, from Prime Value Asset Management, thanks very much for coming on Talk Your Book. I thought before we get into your stock pick, it'd be a good place to start by you telling us about Prime Value and, and what your guys' investment philosophy is. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, Prime Value was founded around 20 years ago. It's part of a uh, family office, so we're a little bit different to a lot of other funds in that we're very much focused on capital preservation um, and take a lower risk approach to investing. Um, and that, that, that flows through to the way we invest the stocks we pick. We're very much focused on you know, quality end of small caps. So my fund is X100 or a small cap fund. We're very much focused on the, the quality end of the small cap spectrum. So we often sometimes talk about it as a, um, as a sort of a tortoise and a hare, dare I say, approach, um, where we're the tortoise. And uh, maybe it's a little silly to call yourself a tortoise, but, <laughs> but we, uh, we take that approach. And what we're really trying to say is we're not trying to hit it out of the park. We're trying to just get good quality business that can compound our capital over the long term. And the results that are coming out of that are really strong. So I've been managing the fund for around three years. And over that time, the returns have been about 18% per annum after fees. And the index has been around 8% per annum. So um, we're getting obviously very good, you know, good returns for a tortoise, if you like. And, and the risk profile is also lower. So the volatility of returns is lower than the market as well. So higher returns and, and lower risk. Perfect. And, uh, and what stock did you want to walk through today? Yeah, we thought we'd talk about United Malt today which um, some of your viewers might like. It's the beer and whiskey space. So it's an interesting one. And what's the, uh, what's the company's history? How did it, uh, what's its genesis? Yeah, so it came out of Grey Corp. So it demerged around almost exactly 12 months ago, actually, March last year in 2020. Um, and Grain Corp's a relatively uh, volatile earnings business. So I was exposed to the agricultural cycle whereas United Malt is a more stable business. And they, when they were put together, there was a view that there might be synergies, but that didn't really play out. Um, and so you found that United Malt were restricted in their ability to invest in their business because they had this other side, the Grain Corp side, that had a very volatile earnings stream. So you couldn't really take long-term investments in the United Malt side. Um, uh, so therefore they demerged and United Malt's now standing alone by itself, which, um, which, which is good. And I think it's not that well known because of that. It's only about 12 months and uh, it's a bit of an uncovered gem, if you like. In general terms, do you have a view where you, you have a bias towards demerged businesses? For me, they feel like they're often an unloved business unit of a, a larger corporation. Then once they get demerged, they've got just a much stronger focus on, on that business from a, a management team that's really focused on, on achieving some new goals. Is that sort of broadly your view of demerged businesses or do you take it just one opportunity at a time? No, I absolutely agree with you. Well, I mean, we take it one opportunity at a time, of course, but there is a strong track record of demerged businesses doing well. And, you know, for the reasons I've just explained about the ability to deploy capital and take mm. a longer term view, there, there should be a definite benefit for that for United Malt. And talk me through United Malt. What's their uh, what's their business model, and, and who are their customers? 
Yeah, so they're involved in the, the name gives a hint, it's, it's involved in the malting process. So, you know, when you produce beer, there's four main ingredients. There's, there's water, yeast, uh, hops and malted barley. And they're, they're particularly big in the malted barley side. So malted barley, essentially take barley, you take it through a process of germination, which basically releases the sugars and then uh, roast it and it goes into the beer. And it's, and it's sort of the baseline, it's key to the flavour of the beer. And it's also where the alcohol content comes from. So all the important stuff, if you like. And then on the whiskey side, they, um, they, they, they produce uh, malt for, for the Scotch whiskey side. So they sell into the UK. And as the name suggests with, you know, Scotch whiskey, there's blended malts and single malts. So it's obviously a key ingredient within whiskey as well. And they, they supply the malt for those, those Scotch whiskey producers. And what's their split between beer and whiskey? So whiskey is about 12% of the business and um, there's about 8% in food and other bits and pieces. And then about 80% is beer. And the 80% of beer is split between your big, your big commercial brewers, about 50, and about 30% in that craft brewing space. And the craft brewers are much higher margin. So I think a lot of the smaller customers rather than the large ones like the commercial brewers, so you obviously get better pricing. Um, and the inclusion rates are also high. That's why it's such a high percentage, 30% of revenue. So like a, a, malt, a, beer, a craft beer may actually have two to three times as much malt in it than a normal commercial beer. Which is amazing. I'd never, I'd never actually heard that before. And and whereabouts are their customers based geographically? Yeah, so about sixty percent of revenue is from the US, twenty uh, percent from the UK, which is largely that you know twelve percent that distillers. There was Scotch whiskey, and then the other eight percent of that twenty percent is is the brewers, and then there's about twenty percent of Australia and Asia. So Australia is actually pretty small. And so when you look at the the, the top down factors that are, are really affecting them. US being the, the bulk of their customers. Talk me through the landscape in the US around, around COVID, where the vaccinations are up to and what you could see potentially happening with, with the US opening up and, and how it could affect United Malt. Yes, they've, they've had a tough patch, particularly the last six months, because that craft bit, as I highlighted, that 30% of revenue that's craft exposed, that's actually much higher margin as well. We reckon it's about double the margin of the other commercial side and the distilling side. And craft has been impacted by COVID. And what the impact has been that, that bars and restaurants have been shut down. And think of craft brewers that perhaps don't have bottling facilities. So they're relying on selling kegs into, into pubs or they have my, you know, their own beer, beer pubs. Um, and those ones have obviously been effective with shutdowns. So the last six months, and they're about to report their results, the, 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 this six months ends, um, the reporting period ends in March, they're reporting May. And it'll be a tough, a tough six months, we know that. But in the US, where again, like 60% of their revenue is, that we're seeing that vaccination roll out and it's been very, very fast. So now in the US, you've got um, around 40% of the adult population have had a vaccine and about 20% have had both doses of the vaccine, so are fully vaccinated. And they're rolling out almost 3 million a day. So about another 1% a day. So it's really accelerating and it's coming into the key drinking period too of summer. So, you know, things are tough, but we think it may well be near the bottom of the cycle for them. And that's what makes it interesting right now. And do you see that, that what feels like a secular shift towards craft beers from the, the larger mainstream beers? Do you think that's sort of a tailwind that will continue? Yeah, that's right. So if you put COVID to the side, we actually like the business. So there's structural tailwind like you highlighted. And think about crafts. So think here about here in Australia now. Now it's not a big part of their business, but but as um as you might know, like when I grew up, 
uh, VB and Carlton Draft and Melbourne Bitter were about the only beers that were around, right? And now, now you can find all sorts of craft beers. Think, you know, Stone and Wood and Mountain Goat here in Melbourne and several others. And that shift in demand towards craft is a tailwind for them. So um, they over-index. And you know, my group over-index in craft, so it's 30% of their business, but it's only about 20% of the industry. So they're, they're overweight in that sector, that growth segment. We reckon they can grow their earnings at around about five to ten percent in a normal environment, um, just from that structural tailwind. And then they've got capital to deploy, being from that demerger that we highlighted earlier, that could potentially push sustainable earnings growth above ten percent. And so, talk me through the numbers. What's their market cap? And we know they're a little bit down earnings on the previous year due to the COVID-related stuff. So maybe what what's their current PE? And what do you think it'll sit at in, in a more normalised environment? Yeah, so the P, we're not too worried about where the earnings are now because again, we think it's it's um, it's uh, you know it's, it's it's a temporary factor. So what we tried to think about is where earnings will be post COVID because we think, as I said earlier, that this is potentially the bottom where we are now. Like in FY19, so pre COVID, they made about seventy million MPAT. We reckon they can do more than that. They've done um, some expansion plans. They've shut. Um, they've shut one facility down in the UK. They've opened up, they're opening up another couple over there, expanding the capacity, expanding capacity here in Perth in Australia. So there's a few things that have been going on in the meantime that should lift earnings above that 70 post when we when we get out of COVID. So post COVID, um, the mar- and the market caps around 1.2 billion. So if you think say 80 million is a rough figure, they're on about 15 times PE on a normal 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 trading basis, and the market's on around 20 times. So they're trading at a discount, and we would argue that they're a better business than, than your average in the in the small cap index. You know, it's a global business. It's the fourth largest maltster in the world, actually, the largest in, in the US. So um, with strategically placed assets. So, um, you know, it's one of those opportunities where you can buy a really high quality business um, going through a bit of a tough patch with, you know, the, the upturn on the horizon um, and which should, should drive the share price higher. And they've got a strong balance sheet. We've spoken about that and they've said they are on the lookout for potential Bolton acquisitions. What types of businesses or opportunities do you think they could could look forward to, to utilise with that balance sheet strength? Yeah, so the gearing's about two and a half times leverage at the moment, and that's on depressed earnings. So if we come out of, you know, if the, if the thesis proves right and earnings lift, you know, in the next 12, 18 months, then that gearing level comes down significantly and they can utilise that you know, very effectively. So I think adjacent products. So everything that goes into a into a brewing process, things like, you know, the supply of kegs and, and other ancillary products and other flavorings. Um, and there's also a potential for acquisitions, large, large acquisitions, uh, up to potentially $500 million or so. Uh, and also the organic growth opportunities, more, more expansion and efficiencies created as well. And they've got a, they've got a hurdle of around about um, a 15% pre-tax or 12% post-tax. So if you can deploy capital and get that return, that's, that's a pretty attractive return for us. And they don't own the land in effect. What does that look like, the arrangements with the landholders? What sort of time do they lock in that the produce for? Yeah, so they, they source the barley from the farmers and they have arrangements with, with the barleys for that, with the farmers for that. Um, and that's obviously seasonal um, and they're strategically placed assets near the production of the, of the barley. So there's, um, you know, the, there's no problem in sourcing it as long as the weather conditions are fine. And then they have agreements with the customers, so the brewers, to pass through that cost of barley. So they're not exposed to the egg price, which is, yeah. which is very important as well. 
And does their margin change at all depending on the, the price of the underlying commodity or the margin remains pretty similar even if the price explodes or decreases significantly? Yeah, the, the dollar margin's consistent, but the percentage margin changes as the as the cost goes up and down. Yeah, gotcha. You've got to really think about it in dollar terms. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, it, it, I can see why you like it as a conservative investor. It's hard to see... It's, it's hard to see things changing in terms of people's uh, appetite for alcohol, whether it's good times or bad, it's, it's fairly recession proof. So it looks like a really good one to put on the watch list. Hi, right, thanks, Chris. Thanks for thanks, having me. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate your time. No problems. Cheers. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.